Well, again, we're so glad you're here this morning and so glad that we have a chance to study God's Word together. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John. Uh, we'll start in chapter 1, and as we start to turn to there, I just want to start and ask you a question. Have you ever had your impression of somebody changed over the years? You ever met somebody for the first time and you got this first impression of them and then once you got to know them, like it totally shifted and you really maybe got to know the real them or or maybe you had been told about somebody. Maybe you said, oh, you know, this person, you're not going to like them. Like they are, let me tell you, and they just started telling you all the bad things about this person. But when you actually met them, like they were actually kind of cool and nice and your perspective shifted or, or maybe you thought you really did know somebody. And then all of a sudden you saw them in a different setting or in a different environment. And you're like, who is this person? Like, I mean, maybe you like went out to, to dinner with your boss one day after work or a coworker and you're like, wow, this person's fun. Like, you know, this person isn't that person at the office. They're a totally different person. You know, don't we sometimes make impressions or make judgments about people that we don't really base? In fact, we base it in perception or thought or even sometimes bad information. I remember a couple of times I've over the years have for some different reasons at different times in my life gotten to be in some close proximity uh, to some very famous people at one time. One, I was an 11th grader in high school. This was way back. It was, and I'll tell you what year it was. It was 1986. It was an election year. And I can remember that because my, that year at school, I had to do all this stuff related to election and stuff. And uh, 88, I'm sorry, not 86, 88. And uh, you, I could see some of you were like, 86, eh, what an election year. Uh, 88. And uh, we had to stay. And one of the candidates that year for president, if you remember, was Joe Biden. Joe Biden ran in 1998, and if you remember, what derailed his candidacy was he was uh, accused of plagiarism. Like now, I think that would put him to the top of the list of our candidates, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, he went, but like it just knocked him out. And uh, anyway, I was on a, a school trip to uh, Washington, D.C., and if you know me at all, sometimes I just like to try to see if I can get in places that I'm maybe not supposed to get into. That's probably not a good thing to do in, the, in our capital in the United States, but I remember one time I was in the uh, Capitol building, and I got on this elevator, I think that was like a staff elevator, and in walked Joe Biden, and I'm sharing an elevator with Joe Biden, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's that plagiarist. Like, that's, a, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Like, you know, I wanted to say, how dare you steal that guy's speech? I don't even remember what it was at this point. But anyway, he, before I could even say anything, he, re, he turned to me and said, well, hello there. And uh, I said, and literally he invited me to stop. I got off the elevator with him. We stood in the hallway and talked for about 10 or 15 minutes. And like, I can tell you my impression of him afterwards was totally shifted from what I had read in the news and what I, to actually who he seemed to be in person. It just shifted. It, it changed completely. I also remember another time, this was in 1996, we, uh, in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta, and they were hosting a, a Billy Graham crusade. When I think it was the last time maybe he came to Atlanta. And I was invited to be a part of a, a youth team uh, that came from youth leaders around that area to uh, try to encourage and get people to attend that conference. And we were going to the meeting, and anyway, we're at the Georgia Dome, and I was heading to the meeting. Before I got there, I decided to stop at a restroom uh, before I went up, and I'm sitting there. I'm trying not to be crude, but I was standing at the urinal, and uh, all of a sudden, somebody walks in, and somebody kind of looks around, and then uh, I'm like, oh, that was kind of weird, and then somebody, and in walks Billy Graham, and 
I'm standing at a urinal next to (laughs) Billy Graham. And I'm like, of all the ways that I thought I might have interaction with this man, this is not it, you know? And uh, I'm like, you know, I thought we'd be praying together, that we would have these. And I'm like, I'm just sitting in the bathroom with Billy Graham. And it was a cool moment. But what it did for me is like, you know what? It took him kind of off of this pedestal and made him a real person. Like, it just reminded me, okay, this man's real, just like everybody else. He just, God has given him tremendous favor in his life. And, like, you know, I took him from this, you know, ethereal character to, like, just a real man. And that happens in our life all the time, doesn't it? We make judgments about people. We start thinking certain ways, and God shifts our perspective. I mean, I could just throw out names to you right now, and you would have thoughts. I Googled the other night controversial figures in the 21st century. All right, so I'm just going to throw some of these names out to you. And, you know, from our sports, it says some of the three top controversial figures in sports were Tiger Woods, LeBron James, and Tim Tebow, right? And we, you already heard some, you know, it's like you, you, we all have different opinions about those people. If you were a Georgia fan, you don't like Tim Tebow, you know, I mean, you just have different thoughts about that. Entertainment, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, controversial figures. We would all have different thoughts about that or Kim Kardashian, Charlie Sheen, and Miley Cyrus, you know, and then politically, you can name these three, Obama, Clinton, and Trump, you know, I mean, we all, we, those names just elicit in us perspectives and thoughts, and we make immediate judgments about the character of those person, people, and the truth is, with maybe limited number of people, we've never met them personally in here. Most of us in here have never shaken their hands or, or had interaction with them. And so we're making judgments of what we know. But the truth is, we don't just do this with people. We do this with God as well. We do it with God. We do it spiritually. Think about it for a minute. How do you typically form your view of God? Maybe we hear someone tell us about who God is. Or maybe we think, you know, how how we would act if we were God, and he's not doing that, and so we get a negative perception of God. Or maybe somebody says they believe in God and we see how they act and we don't like it and we make that identification. Well, if that's who they believe in, that must be what God is as well. And when it comes down to this, many times our view of God's character and nature are most often formed by our opinions, our perceptions, and our own perspectives. We judge God from a distance, from secondhand information sometimes, instead of firsthand experience. And it's so easy to do that. But here's the great thing. God has revealed his character and nature to us. He doesn't hide it from us. It's not even something we have to go searching all of our life for and like finding these weird clues to. And one day at the top of Mount Everest, I will have this epiphany of who God is. It can happen in this room. It can happen wherever you are. God's nature and character is not hidden from us. It is revealed fully to mankind. Now where and how? As a Christian church, for us, that revelation begins and ends with the Bible, with God's word, with with the Holy Scriptures. And so let's begin today talking about before we study the Bible, what is the Bible? If we're saying that that's where we find God's revealed character and nature, what is the Bible? And there's probably as many perspectives about the Bible in here as there are about God in here. And so I've grown up around the Bible my entire life from a baby to today. I've studied, I've I've gone to seminary for it. I'm a student of God's word. 
And uh, I have heard it called many things over the years. I've heard it, heard it called God's handbook for life or God's instruction manual for life. I've heard it called God's love letter to mankind. I've heard it called a history book. And I've heard it called a great book of teachings or sayings or good things to do. In actuality, the Bible is at time all of these and at time none of these. If we take one of those characteristics and say it is God's instruction book for life and we try to apply that to the whole of Scripture, it falls short. If, I, if we say it's God's love letter to mankind, there are some harsh passages in here. And you go, well, that's what love is. I don't, I don't want that. Or if we just say it's a, good, a, good, a book of good teachings and sayings, then we miss the depth of what is really in this book. And if we only look at it as a historical book, and then we would understand there, there's much more even to history that's in the Bible. Right. And so it's not just simply one of these at times it fits and at times it's not. And so what is our belief in our church? Our belief is this. When we describe the Bible, we say it is the revealed character and nature of God demonstrated through God's interaction with mankind throughout history. It is the revealed character and nature of God as he has interacted with mankind throughout history. So if that's the case, then why aren't we writing more books? Right. I mean, if, if it's. The history, history is still happening. So why don't we have, you know, the first and second, you know, Billy Graham in here? Why are there not additional books? And because it boils down to this, because not only is it that the Bible shared the framework of God's character and nature, but when he came as Christ, he came as the revealed, fully revealed character and nature of Christ. And then through the availability of the Holy Spirit, now God is connected with us. This is why there is no need for more books of the Bible to be written. It has fully been expressed through this historical document, then through Christ, and through the way that we can connect with the Holy Spirit. And so that's how we believe we can impact and understand the character and nature of God. Through the study of Scripture, through understanding who Christ was, and through personal interaction with the Holy Spirit. We get the full picture of the revealed nature and character of Christ. And so in this series... What we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're going to take a section of Scripture that kind of looks back over this, this book and summarizes many of the, the, that framework and summarizes it and puts it in context of about five key characteristics that we're going to look at of the character and nature of God. And that's found in 1 John, the entire book. The book of 1 John reveals these entire characteristics. Now, the book of 1 John, to help you understand it was, uh, most people believe it was written by the Apostle John, somebody that was very close to Jesus, who was a student of even Old Testament theology and understood that. So he had, he had seen Jesus, he knew about Jesus, he understood the context that Jesus came in. And it was also one of the last books written in the Bible. Uh, it was one of the later books written. And so it was like, hey, let me, let me just kind of sum up to you in one of the last books we're going to write of who God is so you fully understand. And so let's turn in and first John one, we're gonna look at starting right quick, just one through three and see what let John tell you what his purpose in writing this was. So first John one, one through three says this that which was from the beginning, talking about God, which we have heard, who is what? Jesus, which we have seen with our own eyes, again Jesus, which we have looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And these first three verses, here's what John's saying. He's telling you there's a purpose in this book, and his purpose is to reveal to us what had been revealed to him. What he had seen, what he had heard, everything that he had had an encounter with Christ and understood, he is here to share that with us. He's laying the groundwork here in these first three verses to lay out the purpose. And then he goes into, over these next five chapters, what those characteristics are. And we're going to look at one characteristic today. We're going to look at the first characteristic that he lays out here, and it starts in verse 5, and it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. The first quality of God, the first part of his revealed character and nature is that he is light, and I prefer to use the word luminous, because luminous means it is this intrinsic light that gives light out. It can't be quenched. It's not on a dimmer switch. It's not controllable by mankind. It's not something that will one day burn out. It is completely luminous, unchangeable, unquenchable source, a source not created by man and that cannot be controlled by man, but it's a source that burns pure and it does not create pollution. It is clean and clear. It doesn't dim or diminish. It is light without darkness. That's God, light without darkness. All of a sudden light comes in and the darkness leaves. For me growing up, there was a great example of this. I, I like darkness when I sleep. I have one of those eye masks. It's hard in New York because there's lights everywhere. But I, where I grew up, we were we had a pretty dark room. And uh, my mom and dad, and my dad's here today uh, from out of town. You know, they didn't come in and say, Patrick, time to get up. It's time to wait. They would come in and immediately turn the lights on. I mean, it was like darkness would disappear. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's just like the light has invaded my eyes. And it like I, I would want to get up and I'd say, turn it off, turn it off. You know, and you had to get out of bed to turn the lights off. And by the time you're out of bed, you're up and you're going. And light, you know, got rid of the darkness. And that's what it's saying here, that light comes in. And what light does is two things. A luminous light, it reveals things and it draws things to it. It reveals certain things. Like you turn a light on, you see stuff, right? Good and bad, you see it. But it also draws things to it. People are drawn to light. We are drawn to the sun. We're drawn to different sources of light. And that's what God's nature does. He has this light, this pure light, and he reveals himself to us through it. And then he draws us to him as well. And so that's what we're going to look at over these next few verses is what does God being light, what does it reveal and what does it draw out of us? Look at verses six and seven. It says this. So he's laying a ground. He says he is the light. So if he's the light, here's what happens. If we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sin. And so what this first does is this. It reveals God's sovereignty. And here's what sovereignty means. It means his preeminence, his prestige. It means that he is supreme above all things. What it's saying here is this, is we have two choices. We can walk with God or we can walk away from God. 
If we're walking with God, we're in the light. If we're walking in a different direction with God, we're not in the light because he is the source of that light. We're walking in darkness. And we can act like we're light, but we're not. And what it's saying here is this, is not only do we have these two choices, but if we make this choice, what we're saying is we think we're God. We think we're better than God. We think we know more than God. That's why I'm walking this way, even though he's going that way. And so this is revealing and showing God's sovereignty. I mean, I want to change the perception for you. God loves you. He desires you. He wants a relationship with you. But God is calling you to what? Follow him. He's not running after us saying, can I hang out with you? Can I be in your, you're going this way. I'll leave my way. And he is calling us to follow him. He's not following after us begging. That's what makes him sovereign. That's what makes him preeminent and supreme. He is calling us to follow, but God is asking us to bend to his will, not him. We don't bend God to our will. And that's what, don't we do that sometimes? Don't we bend God to say, if you'll be a little bit more like me, we'll hang out together. Instead of saying, no, I need to be more like you. And in doing so, we'll have deeper fellowship. And what this draws us to is community. This draws us to community. It gives our lives connection and points us toward a creator. As we walk with him, he guides us. His light is directing us. A few weeks ago when I was in Africa, we were spent a couple of days on a safari. And uh, when we would go to our tents at night, they gave us clear instruction. And said, if you want to leave your tent, there's a flashlight in your room that you should click on and off to let our warriors know. I actually called them warriors, and they were, to come and escort you from your tent because we're in the middle of a safari. They're in the jungle. There's animals everywhere. And so I would do that. I'd flash my light. Whether, no matter if you want to go to dinner or just walk around, they would come to your tent, and they would have a light in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. And they would lead you to where you wanted to go. And you know what? I stayed very close to that man. As close as I could without it being uncomfortable. Like I just, I stayed as tight because I knew in him and with that light and with his, his wisdom of how to handle that situation, there was safety and guidance in that moment. And too often we try to go out of the tent without following God or without even calling on God. And we walk in darkness and we think we know, and we know, God says, no, I'm sorry, and follow me. And in doing so, you'll be closer to me and others as ever. And so understand, God is light. It shows that he is sovereign, and it draws us to community. Look at verses 8 through 10, and we'll see what it says next. It says, if we say then we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. I love how these verses get to the point of forgiveness. That you and I can experience the full forgiveness of Christ. But to get to that point, we have to walk a difficult path. And the path that we have to walk is that of admitting that you and I have sinned. That we've messed up. That we've fallen short. That I'm not always right. That I make mistakes. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. That's a difficult thing to do. We actually hate to do this, don't we? I mean, what's the source of most arguments maybe in your home? I was right. No, I was right. I was, you know, everybody can't be right at the same time. We're all, 
Now, there is a standard we're called to, and that standard is God's revealed law and through his character and nature. He's calling us and say, look, if you say you have no sin, that the light's not in you. And what I love about that statement is not that God's trying to expose you. You catch how he's saying, he's like, look, I know that you've sinned. It's okay. Uh, he's not okay with the sin, but he knows that you've sinned. It doesn't make him run from you. As a matter of fact, it makes him call you more. And he says, it's, I have forgiveness. Come and experience this forgiveness. And what this reveals about God's nature is his authority. God has the authority and authority is a dirty word kind of in our culture right now, isn't it? I mean, the respect for authority is at a very low point. People view the, the police as enemies and politicians as corrupt and the system is rigged against them. You know, it's not when you hear the word authority, we don't usually stand and clap. It's not how we respond. But yet we see that God in this revealing fact that he doesn't just speak truth. He's not just saying I, he acts truthfully. He is the truth. And he is the truth because he is the creator. He made all things and he loves all things. And so it reveals his authority. God has the authority to call sin, sin. But God also has the authority to forgive sin. Which what that does for us, what it draws us to is honesty. It draws us to be able to be honest with God. One of the biggest ways that you can stay separated from God is to not be honest with him. And not admit when you fall short. Not admit sin in your life. And the more I'm honest with God, do you know what it teaches me to do? Be more honest. The more I reveal to God, the more I'm open to God, the easier it is to let him go deeper and deeper into my life. And so honesty is allowing God to look his light to penetrate deeper and deeper into your heart. You know, what's the usefulness of going to the doctor and hiding your illness? You know, you make an appointment, you know you're sick, right? You're running a fever, nothing's feeling good, and you show up at the doctor, you sit down on the table, got that beautiful gown on, and you're just feeling wonderful about the day, and he says, what's wrong? And you go, nothing, doc, everything's good today. And you got, you know, tears flowing out of your eyes, it's not coming out your nose, maybe your ears are bleeding, I don't, you know, it's like something's wrong with you, but you're like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. What's the usefulness of going to the doctor? If we're not going to be honest with him, what's the usefulness of coming to God and connecting our lives with God if we're not going to be honest with the spiritual state of where we are? Stop hiding your heart from God. It's not hidden anyway. Only people that think it is is, is us. So it reveals honesty. Look in verse 4 through 6. It says this. Whoever says then, I know him, but does not then keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By, we, by this way, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which God walked. So what this reveals about God when we see this is we see that his way is right. His way is consistent. He's always going the right way. It shows the integrity of God, that God is a God of integrity. God's actions are always right, always true, always occur at the right time. While his authority gives him the right to do so, his integrity makes what he does right. He has a right God. His actions are always right. He warns us 
Right. God warns us sometimes, don't do that. Why is he doing that? Does he want to keep us from having fun, keep us from enjoying life? No, he warns us because he knows it's a bad thing. Growing up one time, I, I was a pretty picky eater. I didn't like to try certain things. And one time we were at my grandparents' house and there was a hot pepper sitting on the table. And uh, I, for some reason, had the boldness to say, I'm going to try this pepper. And my dad said, you won't like it. It's going to be really hot. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I can handle it. And he's like, no, it's you won't. Like, multiple warnings. And what did I do? I ate the pepper. And what happened? Oh, my, I was stuck in the back corner. I couldn't get out of the table quick enough to find something to drink. It just lit my mouth on fire. And in spite of the warnings, in spite of the fact that I thought it wasn't going to be true, guess what happened? It's true. And the same thing is with God's law. When he calls us to it, it's true. Because he is a God of integrity. And when we begin to do that, here's what it draws us to. It draws us to a life of consistency. Because we start trusting God more. We start saying that what he said here is true. And it played out in our life. So I'm going to follow him this time. This time. This time. And consistency starts showing up in our life. And when we do that, what happens? Our lives begin to look more like the character and nature of God. As he walks, we begin to walk. It says, walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 9 and 11, as we close, says this. It says, whoever then says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. In this moment, God shifts his focus from how you relate to him to as you're walking with God, how you relate to other people. And the truth is, our relationship with God and our understanding of his character and nature will impact how we view other people and how we interact with other people. If you believe there is no God, it'll impact how you treat other people. If you think that God is this distant, distracted God, it will impact how you view other people. If you think that God is this God of wrath and anger, it's going to impact how you treat other people. If you believe that God created us and each of us have value and we're created in the image of God, it's going to change how you view other people. And what this reveals about God is this idea of empathy, that he, not just that he wants to get things right with him, he wants us to get things right with other people because he has deep care for other people. God doesn't just love you. He loves the person sitting beside you just as much as he loves you. There's no qualifying for God's love. Just as much as he loves any person sitting in this room, he loves any person that's not in this room. And no matter what race or age or geographical setting or political perspective you come from, it does not diminish God's love for you. But yet we put qualifiers on our love for people, don't we? You know, we we could quickly in here divide this room based on something as trivial as a football team or something as impactful in our lives as a political candidate. Right? I mean, we could divide the room very quickly based on those things. And God says, look, don't let those divisions, don't let those differences hinder you from loving one another. Each one of you in this room look different. 
You, you all have different qualities and aspects about you. But there is one thing that is true of every one of you. God created you. You have value to God, and he loves you. And we're called to love each other in the same way. And what that creates in us is unity. What it draws us to is unity. And oh God, that we would get back to that. That we would not just be a nation of unity, that we would be people of unity. That we would begin to see our life. Where does unity begin? It begins with me setting aside my prejudice, my preferences, and being open to a difference. And to be, unity comes when we begin to unite together. Every person that has ever existed and every person that lives today matters to God. There's no bias or privilege in God's eyes. You, your race, your family, and how long you've loved God, how long you've followed God, all those things do not determine the depth of God's love for you. That comes only from his character and who he is. So my question for you today is this. Have you experienced the light of God? Are you allowing it to shine into your heart? Are you walking in darkness? Are you trying to be your own God and say, no, I'm the sovereign one over here. God needs to bend toward me instead of me bending toward God. Are you thinking, oh, okay, I, yeah, I know God loves me. I'm doing a love that me and God get to hang out. But what about your neighbor? What about the person you disagree with on topics in your life? What about somebody that you would view as just very different than you? Are you allowing that light to not only penetrate your heart, but then to be shown out in your life to other people? Do you want to experience community? Do you want to be honest before God? Do you want to be consistent in the way you follow him? And do you want to experience unity in this life? Then know that God's light is luminous and it is shining on you today. And as we receive it, it will impact our hearts and impact the way that we view this world. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?